are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7400. 502. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Back to work from Labor Day weekend. Hope everybody's having a great day so far here on your Tuesday afternoon, and we appreciate you joining us here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line. Lance, how you doing today, man? Fantastic, Noah. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. We still had football last night. Ole Miss, Louisville, 43-24 victory for the Rebels. We'll break that down later on in the show. We'll continue to take a look at Auburn's 60-10 win over the Akron Zips, as well as speak with Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer and Jeremy Law of RadioAlabamaSports.net today to get thoughts on Auburn's victory over Akron, as well as Alabama's dominant performance against the Miami Hurricanes. I want to open up today's show talking about Bo Nix for a little bit. Yesterday evening, someone asked me if I really thought Bo Nix had that good of a game on Saturday and why yes yes he did let's dive in a little bit into Bo Nix's performance what were some of the things that you took away from Bo Nix on Saturday against Akron well like we talked about yesterday it was the decision making and going through his progressions he was doing all the little things that we wanted him to do last year right this season in the opener whenever you look at Bo Nix as a quarterback over the course of his Auburn career obviously I think the main frustration with Auburn fans has been the decision making and not going and bailing from the pocket and and turning the ball over and just boneheaded mistakes occasionally at times with Nix and I think we saw that I think we saw or we didn't see that rather we saw improvement on that we saw accuracy uh there were a couple I would say every single touchdown throw that he had um there, there were uh, there were issues with where the ball was placed. Well, I take that back. But aside from the Shivers throw, there were issues with where the ball was placed. But it was a touchdown regardless. But what I saw from him, I think the most important thing is is those decisions. Whenever he was uh, given time in the pocket, I think we saw it early in the game where he was sitting there. He was looking. He was looking. You could tell looking at his eyes, he was going through his reads, and none, nobody was open. And so he, then he made the the quick decision. Well, I'm going to check it down, Tank Bixby, because I have that check down now. Unlike in the Gus Malzahn offense, so he he made all the good decisions on Saturday. And you know, 20 of 22 for 275 yards and three touchdowns. On paper, it's it's borderline perfect, right? If you go back and watch him, he was b- borderline perfect. But again, maybe accuracy every now and then was an issue, but that decision-making was on point. Question to you, because you bring up the check-down receivers, you bring up the tight ends, you bring up the running backs, and that wasn't a factor in the Gus Malzahn offense. Of course, we know that offensive line play was so poor under Gus Malzahn over the last couple of seasons in terms of protecting the passer, at least against the great teams. Average teams and worse – there was really no problems there, at least not to the not to the degree that you were facing against your top tier SEC competition. But maybe, and I'm trying to connect the dots here, maybe. And you look at what Brian Harson did at Boise State. He ran a lot of five man protection at Boise State. People have heard me talk about that a lot here on the show. 
Brian Harson at Boise was like top 25 in the country in terms of amount of pass plays called with just five-man protection. Malzahn didn't really do that a whole lot, which is why the check down receiver didn't really exist in the offense because tight ends were in pass protection. Running backs were in pass protection. They weren't check down options, and maybe that was because of offensive line play under the previous regime. Do you think that there maybe is more confidence in this offensive line moving forward from this coaching staff than maybe what the previous coaching staff had? Or do you think that some of these checkdowns, they may turn into blockers as the season goes on? I definitely think that Mike Bobo's offense, in terms of the way that they like to run run the ball, it's dependent on the way the offensive line plays, right? So I, I, I think... I think the answer to that question is yes, I believe this this coaching staff has confidence in its offensive line. And I do think we are going to continue to see checkdowns because you look across this SEC slate, you're not going to get to see receivers running wide open every single time down the field against teams like Georgia, uh, Alabama, Texas A&M, uh, Ole Miss apparently. Now they've kind of figured things out on the defensive side after we saw what happened against Louisville last Not night. so fast. Still gave up 24 points. They still, well, they, it was a route at that point, so I question like if they had if they had been really, really trying, would they have been able to hold them to 17? I still question point. Louisville, though. They, they, uh, I think they're a well-coached team. I think that they will do just fine in their division. I Ole Miss think, or Louisville? Louisville. I don't think they're going to do great, but I think they'll make a bowl. I think really? I think there's a bowl team. Yeah, I think Malik Cunningham, Malik Cunningham uh, is capable of getting them to a bowl. I think that offense is. I think they just need time to a little bit more time to develop this season. I question whether or not Satterfield makes it a month and a half from now. Really, I'm not. You know, I'm not mad at that. But uh, to back back to back to what we were talking about with Knicks and this offense. Yeah, I think I think the checkdown is going to become a part of this offense. I think we're going to see the running backs and tight ends get more involved as the season goes on. I think Auburn's going to have to go there because again, receivers are not always going to be running free. Of course the offensive line played really well against Akron but it was also Akron and of course I want people listening out there right now and we said this several times during yesterday's show still had callers call in and say hey you got to pump the brakes it's Akron which is 100% accurate it is Akron and you should pump the brakes but I also think you should be really excited for what you saw on Saturday and you should be really impressed because Auburn wasn't doing this against Tulane, Kent State, Jacksonville State, Mercer, list goes on and on against subpar competition that Auburn would play. It didn't always go like this. It really never went like this. And Bo Nix looked really comfortable. And you look at his career in games where Bo Nix was playing inferior competition, even inferior SEC competition, he never looked this comfortable yesterday. And granted, Akron may be the worst football team that Auburn has faced in the last decade, right? Like in, in your recent memory, Akron very well may be the worst football team that Auburn has faced in quite some time. But I do still think that there's something to be said about the fact that he was comfortable, the fact that he was accurate, he wasn't overthrowing receivers, he was making quick decisions, he looked like he knew where the football was supposed to go, he went through his progressions quickly, he was decisive. All of those things are great words to describe quarterbacks with. Decisive is a buzzword for quarterbacks, talented quarterbacks, decisive and that's kind of the takeaway that I had from Bo Nix against Akron was he was decisive, quick, swift, decisive, which an excellent performance for the QB, which brings me to my next topic here. The coaching staff awarded players of the game. I want us to give away an offensive and defensive player of the game. For
for Auburn over Akron? I think for me, for offense, it does have to be Bo Nix. I know that Tank Bigsby and Jarquez Hunter both had phenomenal games. I don't think you can go anywhere else. But 20 of 22 for 275 yards. I keep coming back to that stat line because we've not seen Nix do that in his career. I mean, it was borderline perfect. And again, I know it's Akron, but still, like, he was out there dealing on Saturday. And I'm really excited about what this offense can do in the future because if you do that, if you if you are borderline perfect against your worst competition, when you face a, when you face real competition, you're going to be better than average, I feel like. I went with Bo Nix as well. 20 for 22 passing, 275 yards, three touchdowns. We were right on the money on fill-in-the-blank Friday where we said that he would have three TDs. He had one long. I'm trying to think what the other two passes were. There was the check down to Shivers, and then there was an intermediate one with Kobe Hudson. Isn't that what we said as well, or one of us did? Where we said I said one like, long, and then two of the others. Yes, I, I think one. Of, well, yeah, we both agreed that there would be one long ball, and then there would be a couple of intermediate or red zone throws for touchdowns. He added three carries for 32 yards. This is another notch on the conversation about Bo Nix that I want to go with here not really any designed runs for Bo Nix now that could have been by design in the game plan you could not see that next week why would you want to jeopardize your quarterback against Akron and Alabama State when you already know that that's something that you could do really well why run him and get him potentially hurt maybe it reappears against Penn State my question to you is after one game do you think that we will see designed run plays for Bo Nix moving forward in other words does the read option make an appearance in this offense I'll say this you know there were a lot of questions about whether or not during fall camp because of those two scrimmages it was overblown about whether or not Nix would be able to hold on to his job the, if he had lost his job, it would not have been because of his athleticism. He is a lot faster, I think, than people give him credit for. And you saw on those couple of runs, he's able to get to the edge a lot quicker than I think people, again, give him credit for. I think we will see that at some point. But I don't think it's going to be – it's not going to be often, but I think we It's not going to be a main factor. No, but I think we will see that because you can't take that threat away from Bo Nix. You can't, you can't take that ability away from him because it is a threat. It is potent. He does have, he does have wheels. He's actually got – some speed to him so I think they need to utilize that moving on to the defensive side of the football give me a defensive player of the game oh it's TD Moultrie I think it's TD Moultrie the coaching staff gave it to Jacoby McLean and granted he did lead the team in tackles but so did TD Moultrie yeah. They had the exact same tackle stat line with the exception that T.D. Moultrie was in the backfield all day long. Yeah, and uh, I believe he had, what, three tackles for loss and a sack, seven yeah. tackles total. I mean, he was all over the place for, for Auburn on Saturday. I, I think just based off of wa watching him on film and then looking at his stat line, both those things combined, uh, I would give it to Moultrie. I don't like phrasing it this way, so I'm trying to think of another way to phrase it, but the coaching staff really – They've unlocked T.D. Moultrie. That's, that's the best way for me to say it. They've unlocked him. Like on NCAA 14, whenever you go to recruit somebody and it's a gym and it's like it pops up and you've, un you've unlocked that talent, except it's, what, three or four years down the line now? <laughs> sure. That was a harsher way to say it, but sure. <laughs> he has been underwhelming, though, and then boom. He is now burst onto the scene. Yeah, absolutely. And look, you look up and down this defensive line, and Tony Fair was a guy that we thought was going to be a factor, and he was not necessarily a factor for Auburn on Saturday. It was Marcus Harris that was in there more often, but look at the depth up and down this defense on the line, or in, in the front seven. Auburn's got a lot of talent there, and T.D. Moultrie was not a guy, I don't think, I, at least I, I won't speak for you, I will say I was not talking about 
that often during this offseason. Not at all. So, Wasn't talking about him at all. Yeah, for talking him. about Colby Wooden, Marcus Harris. Marcus Harris only comes away with one tackle. Colby Wooden has a handful, but then you talk about TD Moultrie, he's got seven times that of the bounty of Marcus Harris. So, yeah, again, look at this depth on this defensive line. For a guy like TD Moultrie to be sitting there at the top of the chart, at least statistically at the end of the day with Zacoby with, uh, McLean, uh, I think speaks volumes. He, he was everywhere. TD Moultrie was involved on every play, it seemed like. His name was being called all over the place. I felt like I kept hearing TD Moultrie from Rick Smith, the PA announcer, at Auburn University it was just flying all over the place he was everywhere he was out on the edge he was showcasing the athleticism that he had coming out of high school when he was playing as an inside linebacker then got moved to be playing out on the edge and and last night or two nights ago rather he finally looked comfortable I guess it's been three nights now three nights ago T.D. Moultrie really looked comfortable out there and look he had three of Auburn's 11 tackles for loss for a defense that gave up negative yards rushing. He was one, He was the biggest factor in not allowing rushing yards on Saturday. I think that that's really good moving forward because, again, not a guy that I was expecting to be an important part of this defensive line. Bouncing around college football here, the AP Top 25 poll was released today just about 30 minutes ago, and Auburn cracks the Top 25 at number 25 in the country. Before we get to the rest of the poll, I want to ask you this question. Should Auburn be ranked? I'll say yes. I'll say yes after looking at, you know, some of the other teams across college football. We talked about this a lot on yesterday's show about how just so many teams just seemed unprepared against bad competition, bad competition, so to speak. But a lot of teams just did not seem ready to go out there and play. And Auburn did. And Auburn beat a team by 50. So I I think that's deserving of an SEC school. Like you've mentioned before on the show, Noah, a team that finished with a winning record last season, one of only five SEC teams to do so. I think beating a team by 50 is deserving of putting Auburn in the top 25 based on who they are as a program. You have to look at the teams that are receiving votes but aren't ranked, right, to decipher whether or not Auburn should be ranked. At least that's the way that I'm approaching this. TCU's at 26. They have three less points than Auburn. I think Auburn's performance compared to TCU's performance, both teams were playing poor competition. Both teams blew them out. Auburn looked better against Akron, I thought, than TCU looked against their opponent. NC State dominated USF. They received 69 votes. They beat the snot out of USF, 45-0. UCF receiving votes. What did I tell you after they beat Boise State on Friday? I said these guys would get to the top 25 quickly. And they're they're on the way of do, they're on the way to uh, to doing so. And they're at twenty eight. They, uh, you could see them ranked next week. Yeah, and you could see them ranked highly after a few weeks because they've got some matchups that could propel them to that. Liberty annihilated Campbell. They're at fifty seven votes. LSU is tied with them at fifty seven as well. I don't think LSU deserves to be ranked that after their performance. How tough is that to be ranked sixteenth in the country to lose and then to just drop straight out? On the other hand, I think UCLA is a team of quality. Maybe mm-hmm. it is a little bit harsh to drop LSU completely out of the top twenty five. Could you I'm say saying. that between them? Utah, Miami, Arizona State, North Carolina, Auburn. Should LSU be the team not ranked? North Carolina lost to an unranked team. UCLA may have been unranked this past weekend, but they looked really good. Arizona State, trying to think about who they played. They played Southern Utah, beat them 41-14, to moved up two spots. Miami got annihilated by Alabama. I think they should be in the top 25. Utah struggled a bit with Weber State. You look at those teams, 21 through 25, I think you can make room for LSU there just to give them a pass after them playing really a team of quality in UCLA. Yeah, I agree. I, and, and look, I'm not, I'm not 
trying to be a homer or anything for LSU here. I'm not an LSU fan, but I'm just saying I feel like, like you said, it's a little harsh to take them from 16 to completely out of the top 25 after losing to a good opponent. Like you said, I think there's room in this top 25 to maybe squeeze them in at 24 or 23rd. But with that being said, Auburn was so impressive. Auburn was so impressive this past weekend against Akron. It leaves no doubt in my mind at this point that I do think that they are a top 25 team. And people have heard how I talked about this team into the preseason. I understood them not being ranked in the preseason polls. I think that they every bit deserve their 25th ranking because they looked good. They were one of few teams in college football that actually looked good on Saturday. Yeah, and again, like I said, you go back and not only just look at the final scores of some of these games from some of these other Power 5 conferences, but go back and watch some of the highlights on YouTube. These teams, Oklahoma State, the entire Pac-12, <laughs> um, uh, parts in the Big Ten, I mean... Teams just did not look ready to play on Saturday. They just did not look well. They did not look well coached. And it's uh, props to Auburn and Brian Harson. I think the most important thing right now that Harson has been harping on this offseason is having that one and zero mentality. I think that's why Auburn came out and played so well. Is because that this is the game that they've been focusing on all offseason. They've not paid attention to anything else. All they've done is focus on how can we get better as a team today and how can we go out there and beat Akron week one. I think taking that game-by-game game approach, and it's something that Malzahn would say, to be like, oh, well, we're only focusing on this week. But this is something that this coaching staff has really, really focused in on. And after week one, after seeing Auburn's display and understanding their mentality, I think they deserve to be in the top 25. Let's look at the top 25 poll here now. One Alabama with 59 first-place votes. Georgia pulls up in second, moving up three spots. They have four first-place votes. Ohio State moves up a spot to third. Oklahoma drops two to fourth. Fifth, Texas A&M. Clemson at six. Seven, Cincinnati. Eight, Notre Dame. Nine, Iowa State. Ten, Iowa. Eleven, Penn State. Twelve, Oregon. Thirteen, Florida. Fourteen, USC. Fifteen, Texas. Sixteen, UCLA. Seventeen, Coastal Carolina. Eighteen, Wisconsin. Nineteen, Virginia Tech. Twenty, Ole Miss. 21 Utah, 22 Miami, 23 Arizona State, 24 North Carolina, and then of course Auburn cracking into the top 25 at 25, and right behind them only by three votes at 26 is TCU. Any gripes here with the top 25 poll? Or first, actually, before we you know complain about it, what are your impressions? Uh, my impressions are Penn State was a was the biggest mover, and I don't know if that's necessarily a concern for Auburn because after seeing the way they played, I still fee- feel like Auburn matches up well with them. I think they're a little overrated. Penn State is in that group when we get to that in a little bit. I think you have to watch that football game. Sure, they beat a top 12 team. Wisconsin didn't look like a top 12 team on Saturday they did it and, and and sure it's something to be said for beating a top 12 team on week one but I think you also have to look at how the teams played and neither team played well it looked like neither team wanted to win the football game nobody wanted to score uh other impressions that I have Iowa Iowa State that's a top 10 matchup this weekend and that's going to be hype we were talking about on yesterday's show it was like oh well that's like number 18 against number seven and like number seven didn't look so impressive but we were saying like well at the end of the day it's probably the best game on the schedule and here we see it's officially a top 10 matchup also look at what Iowa State did last year in week one lost to Louisiana Lafayette Mm -hmm. wasn't even close it was a blowout so I think people need to pump the brakes a little bit on maybe saying Iowa State's not that good this year still a senior late in football team I think they returned 20 of 
22 starters or something like that or maybe 21 of 22 starters from last year's football team they'll figure it out obviously major improvement is needed but northern iowa maybe shocked them here in week one it was 16 to 10 win for iowa state of course iowa looked great against indiana but you obviously can't draw too many conclusions from week one because some of these games may have been flukes I, I don't know what compelled indiana to throw three interceptions two of which were pick sixes right but if you take two touchdowns off of that scoreboard for iowa that weren't given to them you all of a sudden drop their total to just 20 points and that victory against indiana so it's not like iowa's offense was scorching the earth either i think you're going to get a really good football game in ames iowa this saturday right and this isn't necessarily a complaint i just wonder is iowa really a top 10 team in the country right now because like you just said they had a couple of defensive scores that would have made that indiana game closer had they not have happened one of them wasn't even Penix's fault bounced off of his own players his own receiver shoulder pads went straight up in the air and then the Iowa player picked it off and of course it was out in the flat so there's no stopping the DB there on his way to the end zone is Iowa a top 10 team I'll say a 34 to 6 win over a top 25 team in week one they probably deserve to be in the top 10 compared to the rest of the landscape Florida not overly impressive against Florida Atlantic it'll shake itself out over time are they really a top 10 team right now probably not but did they play like it after week one that's probably why they're there that's what I was gonna say is that that's the reason why it's not a gripe is because anytime I mean they still got those two defensive touchdowns right like they they earned those and they still beat a, a number 17 team in the country 34 to 6 and that's exactly what I was going to say is you look around the rest of this poll and you look around the rest of college football again not a lot a whole lot of, not a lot of teams that had better wins over the weekend or e- e- even looked good playing period so yeah as of right now Iowa I think it's fair to put them somewhere around there I think the top four is perfect that's my last impression that I've got here I think the top four is perfect Alabama Georgia I think they clearly after what they did this past weekend they should be one and two Ohio State at three and then four Oklahoma I don't have any problems with that yeah I don't have any problems with it either at all let's take a quick break here when we come back we will start to give our top five most important games of week two as we start preparation for another excellent week of college football you're listening to on the line back on on the line noah gardner and lance Dahl with you on espn 106.7 in fox sports central alabama number to call 334-321-1390 text line at 334-564-1840 if you've got a question comment concerns anything that you want to talk about here on the show 334-321-1390 that's how you can call in we want to hear from you once again the number to dial 334-321-1390 what were your impressions of saturday's auburn is auburn 60 to 10 win over akron as well as some of the other things going on in college football anything that we've been talking about up to this point auburn ranked inside the top 25 now is that deserved is this a top 25 team after just one week against akron i think so lance thinks so we want to hear from you as well lance before we get out of here for another four minutes and then we'll have justin ferguson of the auburn observer with us coming up at 2 30 so short segment here but talking about this ap top 25 paul who's overrated i think you can look at a couple of different uh teams here and like you said penn state i feel like is just a little overrated at number 11 because if you go back and you watch that wisconsin game like you said neither team looked particularly impressive it was not a a, like oh this is such a stout defensive affair like all these these defenses are really good no it was just miscues it felt like for the most part 
and uh, neither quarterback played very well. I was just not impressed, and I don't think that's deserving of a borderline top 10 ranking. Penn State, that was who you were talking about? Yes. Yeah, Penn State at 11. I, I didn't think that either team, Wisconsin, Penn State, I didn't think about either team as a, a, a two schools this past weekend that looked good out there on the football field a lot of miscues I didn't think that Penn State handled pressure very well Sean Clifford continued to show his turnover prone presence in the pocket of course he made a couple of big throws downfield also thought he made a couple of questionable throws still showcasing that he's not handling pressure very well of course at the end of the day he was the one with the better arm talent compared to Graham Mertz Wisconsin wasn't allowing Graham Mertz to throw the football down the field at all. Penn State throwing the football down the field to Jahan Dotson. That was the difference in that game. And Penn State being able to score enough points to win, 16-10, to 10, of course. I didn't leave that game thinking, though, that either of those teams looked good. I didn't leave that game thinking that either of those teams really improved that greatly during the offseason. I don't think Wisconsin's improved that much. I think that they're going to be able to run on a lot of the teams in the Big Ten they were able to run on Penn State pretty well Belusi looked pretty good at running back for Wisconsin I think they're going to be able to run on most of the teams in their division but when they play a good football team Ohio State will shut them down straight up Minnesota's going to give them issues there are a couple teams in their own division that'll probably give them issues but I think most of the squads in their division they'll be able to run over Penn State on the other hand if you can get a pass rush on them Wisconsin was able to do that all game long if you're able to get a pass rush on them the offensive line didn't run block very well so they weren't able to establish the run and put them in third and long situations a lot and Sean Clifford that was not a recipe for success for him because the O-line has a very difficult time in pass protection and that trend continued here's what I'm thinking about with this Auburn Penn State matchup right it was 16 to 10 was the final is Auburn better than 10 points on the road at Penn State are they better than 10 points I believe they are. I don't know if Penn State can score more than 21 on this Auburn team, even at home. I just don't know if they can. Not with how Auburn's pass rush looked. Of course, it was Akron. We don't really know how good this pass rush is, but it was definitely a step in the right direction. Because if Auburn's pass rush, like I was going to say, performs to half of the level that they performed at against Akron, I think Auburn walks out with a win. Because again, matchup-wise, Penn State's a talented team. Yes, I think they're a top 25 team as of right now, but... I just think Auburn just matches up well with them. I, think I don't think Wisconsin played like a top 20 team. They're ranked at 18. That was, that's exactly what I was about to say. I, was like, I don't think Wisconsin, by the way, is deserving of 18 at all. I don't think either of those squads looked like top 15 teams. Wisconsin definitely not a top 20 looking team after that game against Penn State. I'll say Penn State looked top 20, but not top 15 at this point. Not even close to top 10. We'll be back with more of On the Line. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central, Alabama. Number to call 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. We've got Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer on the line with us. Justin, how you doing today, my man? All right, how are y'all? We're doing really well. And breaking down this Auburn 60-10 to win over Akron, what impressed you about Auburn's performance? 
Yeah, I thought the thing that's most impressive is it was clean. You know, you can sit there and, and say, well, Akron's one of the worst teams in the country, and they are. And they had the worst defense in the country last season, and all that's true. But the fact that Auburn barely had any penalties, they didn't turn the ball over, didn't seem to have really any communication issues, stuff you really have to worry about in week one. Um, I think that's a really good sign for Brian Harson and his team that they were locked in. Some of the groups uh, up front, you know, you knew you were going to be able to, to physically out-muscle Akron on both sides of the ball, right? But the fact that they did it and did it cleanly, no sacks allowed, good running lanes opened up by that offensive line, defensive line got heavily involved in the pass rush and, and, and got home quite a bit on Saturday. Those are just Those are just really good signs because – you know, you could have blown this team out and it not look quite as good, but the fact that it was clean and efficient uh, in both areas, I think, is there is a really good sign for where this team's at through week one. Of course, on the flip side, if we're wanting to try and find something negative in the ball game, I think maybe most people would point to the backup defense, mainly the secondary. What were you seeing from the backup group out there that gave up ten points? Yeah, I mean, it, it was. It, it, the secondary was playing off man and, and playing a lot of zone, which is what they're going to do this season. I think, I think Auburn fans wanting to see like Auburn just cut out a ton of passing lanes and 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 have the opponent have really low completion percentages. I don't think that's really going to happen this year. This is not that kind of style of defense, and this defense is going to be built to keep everything in front of them uh, and and get you know make teams have to kind of nickel and dime them. Um, and Akron did that in the, in the second half. They had some really good throws where they hit some soft spots in the zone on third and fourth down. And, you know, they got some points on the board because of it. And they're going to have to tighten up. I mean, everybody can see that. Smoke Monday said after the game, you know, we got to be better in the secondary uh, moving forward. But, yeah, I think that's pretty much it is that, you know, you were playing a little off. You were playing softer coverage because of where it was, you know, the situation it was and kind of the new scheme. But, um, you can still play a lot better in that in that aspect. So, yeah, I think it's just secondary, especially the backups in there in a new system, when you're rotating and doing stuff, you probably do do a better job of kind of limiting uh, them from moving the ball quite as efficiently through the air. Completion percentage is one thing, uh, but I also think that's just you got to keep everything in front of you, and they, they, let all, they let Akron get behind them a few times. Of course, the first team secondary looked great, but – I want to ask you a question based off of what you just said about the scheme shift and how they're not trying to cut out a ton of these routes and how it's not as much man coverage as maybe what you saw from the previous coaching staff. Does the scheme shift change some things for these guys in terms of NFL trajectory like a Roger McCreary? Does it help them? Does it hurt them? Does it affect them at all? I think it helps them. Um, you know, we talked to Roger a few weeks ago and he talked about how excited he was to be playing some more zone and more off-man coverage. Uh, because it's going to show the NFL he can do some of everything. He was a great press man corner. They're going to t- they're going to run press man in certain situations still as well. But it's not going to be the base of the of the defense like it was under Kevin Steele. So I just think the, the more varied you can look, the more you move around, and the more you do a variety of things, the better off you are as an NFL prospect, right? Because if you're elite at one thing or one style, um, you know it, it can be really really good for an NFL team. But you have to go to the right team in the right system and the right organization. If you're going to show that you are strong in a lot of different areas and a lot of different kind, if you can kind of be scheme proof in terms of who you are as a prospect, um, I think that's I think that's ultimately really good for these guys. Um, and so I think 
you know, I think guys like Roger McCurry and Nehemiah Pritchett and Smoke Monday, they're going to be able to show NFL scouts so they can do a variety of things because this defense is going to do a variety of things. I think you can easily see that from uh, how they rush the passer on Saturday as well. Um, there's a lot of a lot of moving around guys up front, some blitzes, some some different fronts and stuff like that. And in the back end, you're seeing the same thing. We opened the show talking about Bo Nix's performance on Saturday, 20 of 22, 275 yards, three touchdowns. But we were asking the question, was Bo Nix's performance really impressive? And we were looking at, you know, obviously his numbers were great. His decision making was great. But I want to ask you, on the couple of throws that he had deep, he was not, although he completed his passes, it was not the most accurate throws they were not the most accurate throws. Does that concern you moving down the line, knowing that those windows are going to get tighter and tighter as the season progresses against better competition? No, because he's hitting them. I mean, I think he, he made some of, some of those throws his last couple of seasons. Um, you know, even wide open guys, he'd have a tendency to overthrow them. I think he was underthrowing guys a little, like on those deep balls. He, he underthrew those guys a couple of times, and they were able to adjust and make those catches. Because I think, you know, when you're playing a team guy like Akron, You'd rather underthrow than overthrow because if you overthrow, nobody's getting it. If you underthrow, you can you know at least give a chance to kind of slow up and make some plays. So I think that's a little bit of an adjustment there. You know, you want to put it on the money. He was he sailed some of those shorter passes high. Those guys did a really good job to go up and and make catches for him there. So I mean, it wasn't like pinpoint accuracy by any means, uh, but the fact that he was able to kind of spread the ball around and just he didn't throw uncatchable balls. Like only one was truly uncatchable on Saturday, and like that is. Pretty, that's a pretty big difference between what we've seen from Bo Nix in the past. And I think that's, a, that's, a, that's progress, right? Now, yeah, you're going to have to be a little more accurate. You're going to you're gonna have to uh, hit guys in stride a little bit better uh, when you play tougher opponents moving forward. Yeah, that's, that's 100% true. But I will say the fact that he only threw one ball that nobody could get to I think is a really good sign for him because usually it didn't matter who the opponent was. Some of those throws, it would just be sailing way off, and you didn't even have to worry about the receiver coming off his route or having to break on the ball or adjust himself to go get it because you know there was no chance anybody was going to get it. So I think you did see some progress in that accuracy. Uh, it, it can always get better. Uh, I, I think there's a difference between accuracy and precision. Bunnix had great accuracy, excellent accuracy on uh, on Saturday. His precision can get better, and, and you know that's going to be something he'll work on. Speaking with Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer, still talking about Bo Nix's performance here. It seemed like there was a decent amount of evidence that he was going through his progressions and that he was a decisive quarterback on Saturday. Yeah, 100%. Uh, he knew where to go with the ball on those quick throws. Uh, of course, Akron's defense makes it a little bit easier because they were playing very off and those guys were open. Um, but, I mean, there were a few times where he, you know, you could tell he was. You know, you go back and watch, you can see his, you can kind of see his head move, you know, kind of follow where his eyes were going. I think the best example of it was the, was the touchdown pass to, to Kobe Hudson. He's making his reads, goes left, right. Well, all right, the next progression is supposed to be him hitting the outside far right. Well, the safety comes over the top. Uh, he's, he's kind of shifting over, uh, towards the sideline, which means the seam is open. Nick's makes a really good throw to put it right in where Hudson can get it and keep him away from defenders, uh, on the catch goes into the end zone. I think that's that one of those things Brian Harson was very pleased with him on that because it's like, all right, it's one thing to go through your progressions and, and make your good reads, but to have the awareness and the vision to say, all right, I'm going for my progressions, oh wait, you know, maybe this guy who might be third or fourth in the in the in the rundown, the metal checklist, um, he's open right now and I can score on it. So I think that was a really good side too because 
he had that decisiveness when he saw things open up. Um, yeah, he just seemed like a lot more comfortable uh, knowing where to go with the football. Now, we're going to see moving forward how much of that is the fact that you were playing the worst defense in FBS or if it was the fact that he has really taken some steps forward, which, I mean, the thing I go back to with this is with, with Bo Nix is that he was 20-22. Uh, he never really panicked. He knew where he only had one ball that was uncatchable and it was going to be a tough throw uh, with the way the coverage was. Um, you know, those numbers those numbers would be good against air. And I know that because I've watched Bo Nix in practice this fall in previous years where you're not going up against anybody on defense. You just got to make those throws in spaces. And those guys aren't getting covered by anybody because it's just an offensive-only drill and he's not making them with that regularity. So I think that's a good good sign where – you know, when the bullets started flying for real for the first time on Saturday, he knew where to go with the ball, and he was he was very decisive with it. How does this scheme progress in this offense? Because I think they put some things on film that opposing teams are going to have to prepare for. I think about when they get inside the 10, they get inside the five-yard line, they went into some heavy packages. They did that thing where they switched the tight end and the fullback position. They did a reverse. They, they just did a lot of different things that they put on film that – Maybe a, the previous coaching staff wouldn't have dared to put that on film that early in the season, but it seems like they're setting up stuff for the future. Exactly. I mean, you, this this is base stuff, right? Auburn didn't do anything absolutely wild and out of out of, out of nowhere, um, but they are planting the seeds. When you use that much pre-snap motion, when you use all those shifts, um, when you uh, do a variety of formations and personnel groupings and, 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 and stuff like that, what you do is you say, hey – Teams have to go for us, plan for us moving forward. You got to be ready for a lot of stuff. We are going to, you know, make you uh, have to think a lot. And so, whether it's going on deep shots out of heavy personnel, whether it's spreading things out and, and hammering it on the ground, or or doing some quick stuff that way, uh, you know, it's just that variety and that 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 true multiplicity. I think from this offense is something a lot of Auburn fans have been wanting to see. Right? Like this is a. This is an offense that is pro style, and it's not pro style meaning that they're going to take, you know, every snap from under center, and they're going to play, you know, high formation man downhill football every play. I mean, if you look at the snaps from uh, Saturday, Bo Nix, you know, all but six of his snaps came out of the shotgun. So, you know, it, it still has that kind of dynamic base to it that we're used to seeing in some of those spread principles. But it's pro style on the fact that, you know, it's a big playbook uh, that is going to be very keen on game planning and, uh, you know, picking out the right uh, personnel, the right plays, the right packages, the right setups per opponent. And, uh, you know, a, a team that does a lot of everything is more dangerous and tougher to, tougher to have to get ready for. You mentioned earlier that Akron uh, had one of the worst defenses in all of college football last season. They certain didn't, certainly didn't look like they uh, had much improvement on Saturday, but you look at a kid like Jarquez Hunter coming in in the third quarter, putting up 110 rushing yards and a touchdown. I mean, it, does his workload increase as the season goes on, or is Shivers that still that, that clear-cut number two running back? Yeah, I think part of it is they knew what they had in Shivers. And, man, how about a day for Sean Shivers? He touches the ball three times and he scores on two of them. And both of his touchdowns were really impressive plays. I think that's that's kind of what you're getting out of Sean Shivers. Like, he can be a very big weapon for you. And they knew what they've got out of him. You know, Tank is a guy bigger, a little more durable, a, little, a guy who you you know want to get, get some good touches to um, in that one. So when they switched over to the second-team offense in the second half, 
um, they really just let Hunter go to work, and he did a really good job with it. I think there's a lot of, you know, you watch him. Again, it doesn't matter who you're playing defense. If you can move like that and you have the vision to bounce to the outside when, when there's open spaces, uh, run with some purpose, break some tackles, uh, be physical, uh, you know, that's really good to see from a true freshman. And so I think Hunter earned himself some more playing time moving forward. I think he's the clear number three. And I think he can do some things, and you can do some things with him that you may not necessarily can do with Sean Shivers and vice versa. So when you think about a rotation or using guys in certain spots, um, I think Jarquez Hunter's in a, in a really good really good spot. But I, I will say, Sean Shivers, you know, this was a game where he wasn't going to touch the ball a ton. He wasn't going to get a ton of snaps uh, because I think they really knew what they had out of him, and, and they want to kind of leave him, you know, kind of keep him out and – and have uh, different situations and different play calls for him down in the future. And man, he was very effective with what he what he did when he when he put the ball in his hand. So uh, you know, I think you'll see a little bit more of that from him in the future. Justin, we appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. Tell everybody where they can find all your great content and what you've got coming up. Yeah, AuburnObserver.com. Uh, you can check it out there. Uh, Six dollars a month, sixty dollars a year. Uh, we've got a lot of stuff going on. A lot of people signing up right now, which is really exciting. Um, Today did a story on Auburn's pass rush and just like all the different strategies and, and scheme uh, stuff that they showed in game in game one that I think kind of sets the tone for the future of that pass rush. Uh, Monday film room broke down the first team offense uh, in a lot of details like we've been talking about here. Had a podcast recapping it all over the weekend and the observations. And then you know, later this week we'll have more newsletters. Uh, we'll have a, film, uh, a mailbag on Friday. Uh, premium podcast episode previewing the Alabama State game will drop Thursday morning. So there's a lot of stuff at AuburnObserver.com. Sign up there, and uh, you get an email uh, most every day of the week at about 6 a.m. Central Time. Whether it's a uh, it's a story or a news or, uh, or a podcast, we have something for you there. So sign up at AuburnObserver.com. Appreciate it, Justin. Hope you have a great afternoon. Y'all too. Thank you. In just a few moments, we'll be back with more of On The Line. Back on On The Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. That was Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer joining us in that previous segment. If you missed any of today's show so far, go and find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Lance, going back to the AP Top 25 poll that was released today, we talked a little bit about teams that were overrated. You and I have listed off Penn State already. Let's wrap up that. Who are are another couple teams that maybe you think are overrated or maybe there was an overreaction to in this week's Top 25 from the voters? I think the other team that I'm looking at in terms of teams that like really stand out on on this list to me that are like, oh, that team's like, pretty pretty overrated is texas a&m at number five uh, it's like you you your your quarterback throws three interceptions against a group of five school in kent state and kent state's not a terrible team but they're known for their offense not making sec quarterbacks turn the ball over three times so i i don't understand why you would want to move them up that high i understand clemson lost but if it were me voting i would have put clemson ahead of texas a&m there at number five i would have left a&m at six because i just don't I just don't believe that they are their top five worthy. 
I think you could put Cincinnati ahead of them. I just understand also, and I agree with you, I've said all offseason that I think A&M would be overrated if they were to be a top five, top six team. I didn't think that they looked anything like it this past weekend against Kent State. I remember at halftime, Kent State was averaging 5.9 yards per carry. Some defense you got going on over there. Of course, it was week one, but they didn't have the run-stopping integrity that maybe we saw last year from Texas A&M. They didn't look like a top five team. But when you look at the final score, which a lot of these voters just looked at the final score, how many of these voters do you actually think stopped and watched Kent State and Texas A&M play on Saturday night when games like Georgia Clemson were going on and LSU-UCLA? Not many. So they see that Texas A&M beat Kent State 41-10, to and they're like, okay, we'll keep them in the top five, right? So I don't think that there was a whole lot looking at the score that the voters saw to justify dropping them. But in terms of taking a look at people's performances over the weekend, I think Clemson's still a better football team than Texas A&M despite a struggling loss against Georgia, especially from that offense. I think Cincinnati was uber impressive against Miami, Ohio. Once again, I go back to wouldn't know what it feels like to struggle against a Mac opponent. Wouldn't know. (laughs) And Cincinnati fans don't know either. Auburn fans don't know. Cincinnati fans don't know. Notre Dame at 8 Notre Dame and Texas A&M would be an entertaining matchup right now. I wouldn't. I was not going to bring up Notre Dame because I know people listening probably get tired of me just randomly uh, calling them out and just hating on them for no reason. But yeah, Notre Dame in the top ten after seeing the way they played against Florida State, which you talk about coaching Florida State able to put up 38 points and take Notre Dame to overtime. If they had better coaching, they would have won that game because the, some of the things that they did did in that matchup late just unacceptable absolutely unacceptable and just befuddling Uh, but Notre Dame able to eke out a win against not not a very great Florida State team last team that I think is overrated in this poll or that maybe folks had an overreaction to Virginia Tech at 19 pole vaults them not one not two not three spots into the top 25 but all the way inside to the top 26 spots into the top 25 at 19. They were obviously not ranked last week. I don't know how many votes they were receiving going into the preseason rankings, but Virginia Tech at 19. The game between VT and UNC, and granted, I've only gotten to see a little bit of that football game. I was doing high school football on Friday night. You got to watch that game, but just from going back, following along from what was happening, seeing replays and whatnot, It seems like that was more of a UNC issue rather than Virginia Tech's success. Virginia Tech's defense obviously played great, but the offense only scoring 17 maybe is what concerns me a little bit with Virginia Tech. Yeah, North Carolina's defense I have not been a huge fan of. I've talked about a little bit this offseason, and and they, they did not look terrible against Virginia Tech, again, only letting up 17 points. But I agree with you as far as the reason that North Carolina lost that game. I don't necessarily think it was because Virginia Tech's a top 20 team. It's because I think that offensive line and Sam Howell have issues that they need to work out. It was very much so issues on North Carolina's side and making bad decisions and shooting themselves in the foot, i.e. Sam Howell with his back turned to the receiver, flipping a pass to him and it getting picked off. But yeah, it was definitely it was definitely not Virginia Tech being that good of an opponent. Now, did they beat them? Did they beat North Carolina? Yes, absolutely. Their defensive line eight. It was a fantastic atmosphere. It was a fun game. But I just don't know if they're going to finish the season in that top 20. And I think there are a couple of other teams that are deserving of that spot right now. Like, are you sold that Virginia Tech would beat Ole Miss, Utah, Miami, 
Arizona State. I'm not sold that they would beat North Carolina again if they played them, right? I'm not sold that they would beat Auburn. I'm just not sold on this Virginia Tech team. And to pull, pull vault them all the way up to 19 seemed like a potential overreaction. But of course, their schedule will heat up again and they'll have a chance to prove it yeah absolutely and uh, that's what I was going to say is they're going to have an opportunity to prove themselves down the stretch now will they actually do that I don't know again that week one it's really hard to gauge where a team is truly at I think we're going to need to see a couple more weeks and we're going to have to get into conference play but yeah uh you look down the list of the teams you just mentioned there are a few there are a few teams even not ranked in the top 25 that I think I would give a shot like Liberty I would give them a shot to beat Virginia Tech TCU I'd give them a shot UCF I'd give them a shot Virginia Tech's upcoming schedule they return to Blacksburg Virginia yet again to host Middle Tennessee State this Saturday at one and then coming up in two weeks they go to Morgantown West Virginia to take on the couch burners at West Virginia that's September 18th noon Eastern time kick on FS1 that'll be a game to watch out for for Virginia Tech see if this team it's another challenge measuring stick ball game Hour number two coming up, 3 p.m. We'll be back in just a few moments. You are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 106.7 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7400. Hour number two of On the Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call 334-321-1390. Our text line at 334-564-1840. Whatever's on your mind, we want you to call in. Rip us if you want to. If you've got negative things to say, bring it on. We want to talk to you about it. 334-321-1390. Had a fun hour, number one. Talked a little bit about Auburn's performance on Saturday against Akron. Bo Nix, we analyzed his performance a bit as well as awarded players of the game, offensive and defensive players of the game for the Tigers as well as we really dug into the top 25 poll. Should Auburn be ranked, which they are, number 25? What are our impressions of the poll? Who's overrated? I wouldn't really get into underrated yet. We haven't seen enough, but after week one, I think there were some overreactions to certain teams. That was what we really dug into into hour number one. For those of you out there just joining us and coming into the show, if you missed any of the first hour, go and find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer spoke with us. Let's get into this top 25 poll yet again for folks out there. I just want to read it off just for new listeners coming in here at 3 p.m. getting off work and whatnot. But 1 through 25, here we go. 1 is Alabama with 59 first place votes. 2, Georgia with 4 first place votes. 3, Ohio State. 4, Oklahoma. 5, Texas A&M. 6, Clemson. 7, Cincinnati. 8, Notre Dame. 9, Iowa State. 10, Iowa 11, Penn State moved up eight spots, as well as did the Hawkeyes in front of them at 10. 12, Oregon. 
13 Florida, 14 USC, 15 Texas. They hop up six spots after beating Louisiana. Folks impressed with the Longhorns. 16 UCLA went all the way in from unranked. They actually just took LSU's spot. LSU was 16 back this previous week. 17 Coastal Carolina. The group of five school there getting some respect. They jump up five spots after destroying the Citadel 52-14. to 18 Wisconsin, 19 Virginia Tech, 20 Ole Miss, 21 Utah, 22 Miami, 23 Arizona State, 24 North Carolina, and 25 Auburn. This is the lowest that Clemson's been ranked since 2017 at six. And I'm again, like we talked about before we finished the first hour, I think they deserve to be at number five. I don't I don't see Texas A&M as a better team than them right now. And give it time, it'll all shake out. But something that we talked about on yesterday's show, I think that times are actually pretty dire right now in Clemson, South Carolina. And I don't want to overreact to what happened on Saturday. They lost to a top five football team in Georgia. They didn't play very well. But what I mean by times are dire in Clemson, South Carolina, if that offense lays an egg again, I don't care how good that defense is. It's really good. But I think that there are some talented offensive teams in their own division that maybe could score enough to potentially upset them the Florida State game will be circled Clemson Florida State just based on name value and the fact that those guys played against each other in high school a lot of those recruits crossed paths that game will be circled I don't think it comes from FSU could it come from NC State could it come from Boston College which they happen to play both of those teams back to back in their schedule Syracuse also thrown in there we've seen them lose Pittsburgh another game that they could lose we've seen them lose to these teams before where they had no business losing to them I can't tell you how many times that I was at a high school football game back several years ago and I hear oh they're losing to Syracuse or oh they're losing to Pittsburgh or oh they're losing to insert team here of course recent years they've ran the ACC but it's happened and if Clemson loses one more game they're out of the playoff. When we came into the offseason breaking down different schedules and, and predicting things, we looked at this Clemson team and we looked at this schedule and said, man, if they get past that Georgia game, I mean, they should. it should be a cakewalk to the ACC title game. But after seeing the results week one, you start to look at some of these games, and I wouldn't necessarily say that they're 50-50 matchups because I would say that Clemson should be favored in all the games that they play in for, for, for the rest of the season. But there are games against NC State, Boston College, Pittsburgh, Florida State. South Carolina is a terrible team, but that's a rivalry game. Whoever they meet in the ACC championship game, you have to believe that they've probably improved from their current standing, whether it's Miami, North Carolina, or Virginia Tech. I think it's one of those three teams, especially after the horrible weekend that the Coastal Division had. And Virginia Tech's like, we won. Everybody else is like, can't say the same. You know, when Pittsburgh and Virginia and Virginia Tech are your three teams that won, and that was it. Everybody else had a horrible weekend. But I think it's going to be Miami, North Carolina, Virginia Tech. You can't write off Miami yet they haven't even played a conference game I don't think you could write off North Carolina but now they may need a little bit of help they need Virginia Tech to lose two games in order for North Carolina to get there because Virginia Tech holds the tiebreaker at this point unless there was some three-way tie and then I don't know what the ACC procedure is to sort that out of course which odds are in the Coastal Division there could be a three-way tie that happens a lot but point is I think that the ACC Coastal Champion will come out and will improve to a point and at this juncture I'm not so certain that the amount of improvement that Miami needs after getting dominated by Alabama and the the amount of improvement that North Carolina needs after laying an egg against Virginia Tech 
And I, I think that may have just been a fluke this past Friday against against Virginia Tech. I don't think that you can write off North Carolina yet at all. I'm not sure that those two teams, from a development standpoint, are really that far behind this Clemson football team. The Clemson defense, night and day, just leaps and bounds. Insert cliche here. Sorry. Just way far ahead of Miami and North Carolina on defense, I think. But offensively, I'm not so certain that Clemson's offense is that far out of the ballpark that Clemson and Miami are playing in right now. Yeah, and then you start to look at the games on the schedule. It's like, okay, well, who are some of the teams that could put up points against them and give them trouble? I don't think you can rely on history with this one because we've seen bad offensive teams in the past go in and score points. Syracuse, Pittsburgh, when you look at this Clemson team, the upsets, you know, they've not come against teams that have been particularly good, right? It, it, that's the reason it's an upset. It's come against teams that are that were not offensively, I would say, powerful, extremely powerful or efficient. So you look at teams like NC State, could they put up enough points, especially considering that game's at home? Could Pittsburgh put up enough points? They dropped 51 on Colgate. Will they be able to put up points against Tennessee? I don't know. We'll have to see. Louisville, I still think, is an efficient offense. I think they will get their stuff together. Florida State put up 38 points against what was supposed to be a pretty good Notre Dame defense. Like There are opportunities on this schedule to where I don't think we can say for sure where the upset would come from if it were to happen because, again, in the past we've seen it come at at random intervals against random teams and in random matchups. But I definitely do think that there, there is an opportunity for a loss on the schedule. During the preseason, I said that DJ Ungalele is closer to Kelly Bryant than he is to Trevor Lawrence. And when I look at this Clemson football team after week one, there's something very 2017 Kelly Bryant Clemson-esque about them. And just let me read off some of these results for you from 2017 for Clemson. Close games here that they played against teams that they beat. They beat Auburn 14-6. to They only beat Wake Forest 28-14. to only beat Georgia Tech 24 to 10. They lost to Syracuse 24 to 27. I'm handpicking some games here, but and sure they may have scored against Virginia Tech. They may have scored against Boston College and they were in the low 30s in both of those games. And they may have shown out against a Louisville and jumped 47 points onto the scoreboard. But there was also this element of inconsistency with that 2017 Clemson team that had the ability to only score 28 against Wake Forest, 24 against Syracuse, 24 on Georgia Tech. That was a three-week stretch right there that even had a bye week in it and they couldn't figure out the offense. There's something very Kelly Bryant Clemson-esque right now about this Clemson team this year that I could see them losing and it only takes one more loss for them to be jettisoned out of the playoff discussion if they had lost to Auburn in 2017 they also lost to Syracuse in 2017 and in the middle of the season they would not have made the playoff Mm -hmm. and if folks remember what happened in the playoff to them they only scored six points against Alabama lost 24 to six in the 4-1 matchup they were they were they were the number one team in the country at that point and got embarrassed in that ball game back in the Mercedes-Benz Superdome in New Orleans in that Sugar Bowl so I think that Clemson at this point resembles a lot of that 2017 Tigers team that very much so needs to kick some things in gear or else a midseason loss to a Syracuse or the comparison to that they're not going to the dance at the end right like I said, as of right now, I feel like Clemson's favored in all of the, the games that are remaining on their schedule. But I want to ask you, is there somebody in their division that could not only upset them, but then 
win the division at the end of the day over Clemson is that even in the realm of possibility I'm looking at NC State right now of course they cruise over a very bad USF team 45 to 0 but if you want to talk about teams that had near flawless performances this past weekend and there weren't many of them NC State came out on a Thursday night it was short week short preparation of course Thursday night week one that's not that bad compared to playing Thursday night later on in the season where you truly had a short week and you weren't coming out of a full off season for prep for USF or something like that but nonetheless they looked near flawless they've got the offense I think to score on this Clemson defense the question is is it that game where Clemson lays an egg on offense NC State I think is better than the rest of that division as long as they could avoid pitfalls to other teams as long as they only lose one game in the entire conference stretch they could win the division now I don't want to overreact this past weekend they lost to Georgia they lost 10 to 3 to Georgia they 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 were that close and they were you know a player dropping the ball at the goal line from having this game tied right so I don't want to overreact to it but I'm just pointing out their backs may be up against the wall a little bit more than maybe people are giving it credit for yeah all I know is that Clemson had eight months to prepare for that game against Georgia, and that's the and they scored three showing. points. Yeah, so I don't, and I genuinely don't believe that Georgia's defense is just simply that dominant. I just like it's it's a very 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 good defense. Don't get me wrong, it's a dominant defense. I just don't think it's that dominant. I think there are a lot of you talk about North Carolina Virginia Tech being more of like oh North Carolina miscues turnovers. It was more of an issue with the Tar Heels. I feel like with Georgia and Clemson, obviously Georgia's a very talented team and should be top two, top three in the country. But I don't think that defense was that good. I think there were some some issues on the offensive side of the ball for uh, for Clemson. It's an element like the Penn State-Wisconsin game that I want to get to a little bit later that you can sit in on and you could say, this isn't necessarily great defense. This is just bad offense. Right. And I think you could say that about Georgia as well. That wasn't necessarily just phenomenal defense from Clemson. Georgia offense probably helped him out a little bit. Now, I do think that Georgia's defense is legit. I know you're not saying that it's not legit. I don't want people to misconstrue that. Georgia's defense is legit. Clemson's defense is legit, Mm -hmm. but maybe not as legit as 10 to 3 in week one. Maybe the offense is underperformed a little bit. I think if we give the, if they played in week 12 or at the end of the regular season, I think obviously points would be scored let's move around here let's take a look at last night's results Ole Miss knocks off Louisville 43 to 24 in dominant fashion talking about teams that are legit my question to you is is Ole Miss legit I don't know if they are too early to find legitimate like in in contention in the west you're just like oh they're just a good football team after watching Texas A&M and LSU this past weekend Mississippi State Arkansas after looking at the rest of the SEC West this past weekend are they good enough for second best in the West? I think there's definitely the opportunity for it. Now, am I ready to commit to that right now? No, because I don't know how good of a football team Louisville is. Now, do I, I, I personally, I think they're not a bad football team, but it's yet to be decided again because it's only been week one. The offense rolled. I mean, it, Ole, Ole Miss looked great. The defense was not phenomenal, but it looked so much better than we saw last year that I'm willing to say – Hmm, maybe if they're only giving up 24 a game to some of these SEC schools that they should beat, they've got an opportunity to finish second or third in the West. Sure, I'll say that. I think Louisville's a much worse football team than than you do at this point. I was severely underwhelmed with Louisville. Louisville fans on message boards out there, some images of that were making its rounds on Twitter. It made me chuckle. thought it was hilarious. Louisville fans out there are disturbed 
from the product that they saw last night. I, like you, am not ready to say that this Ole Miss team is good for second best in the SEC West. I'm not ready for that yet, but I'm with you. There's huge opportunity there after watching how LSU struggled. I think Ole Miss probably is a better football team than LSU at this point after watching how UCLA was able to score on LSU virtually at will Ole Miss should be able to do the exact same thing with Matt Corral as this season begins to come along a bit and the scheme begins to develop out and it's not game one anymore you're you're getting into midseason form now granted LSU will improve as well but Ole Miss will too right so I think that at this point I like Ole Miss more than LSU I definitely like Ole Miss more than Texas A&M I was talking about that during the preseason I like this Ole Miss football team a lot based on last night's performance I'm just not ready to say that that defense is leaps and bounds better than it was last year it's an improvement though they were hitting hard last night enough for both of these teams to draw four targeting penalties in the first half which by the way this targeting rule it needs to go it needs to change yeah uh that it, it, seeing twitter during last night's game it was just incredibly entertaining it's just be like oh i just found out i've been ejected for targeting like, oh, <laughs> oh i'm sorry i didn't mean to offend anybody the snoop connor run at the end of the game when he ran that louisville defender over i was like oh they're gonna call targeting on that that was a that was an amazing run by connor by the way but yeah it, they it, it really they need to figure that out i just get rid of ejections and this is mm-hmm. a popular opinion right now i agree with it get rid of ejections why I think you have to judge intent. If we judge intent in basketball, and granted, it may be a different sport, and so some people may say, well, different sport, we're not even going to look at other sports for us to examine our own rules. Why, Why does that even apply to this conversation? But I think it does apply, and you look at basketball with the flagrant with the flagrant foul, they judge intent. And a lot of that has to do, and sometimes they may miss on that. I get that. Sometimes you may miss on judging intent because you don't know. You're not in that player's shoes. You don't know what he was trying to do. It may have looked more vicious than what he was attempting to do. It's a violent sport, right? But I do think there has to be an element of that to avoid ejecting guys for simply there was an ejection last night where it wasn't even a defenseless player it was it was a ball carrier it was it was a running back or a quarterback that was running up the middle head up and granted it was a vicious hit guy gets ejected by the lay of the law he deserved to get ejected it was targeting but I don't think that that should be the rule right and and here's what I'll here's what I'll add on to that with you know as far as the way the rule should change I, I I agree with you I do think it should change but I think like you mentioned with the flagrant fouls and stuff and how there's flagrant ones and flagrant twos I think there should be like a level of targeting right so there should be like your base like don't don't do that it's a certain amount of yardage and it's a penalty and then there should be one where you get ejected right they should but they should review it and they should review intent yes. whether or not it was an actual actual uh targeting foul in the first place right I think they should I think they should look I think that's a good example. I think they should look at technicals and flagrants like in basketball and they should pl- apply like a level system to it and then uh, j- then give out discipline based on what they determine. Also, folks may not like soccer, but this is an this I think would be a really smart thing to do. I understand the intent behind targeting. They have such a harsh penalty for it because they're trying to discourage it. They're trying to actually create an incentive for guys to not do it. They are trying to discourage folks from knocking each other's head off because if you do, you're going to get ejected and nobody wants to get ejected. So you're more likely to not do it because of the harsh penalty. Sure, I understand that logic. 
how about this? Because you want to prevent repeat offenders, why not use a card system like it is used in soccer? If you accrue enough yellow cards, you end up having to sit out a game later on in the season. Now, I'm not talking about inside the game. Of course, inside the game of soccer, if you accrue two yellow cards in one soccer game, you're ejected. That's an automatic red. You're out of the ball game. But even throughout the season, they keep up with your yellow card count. So if I accrue five straight games in a row, I accrue a yellow card, which I don't know actually what the exact total is, but there is a number that you hit, whether it's three, five. In football, maybe you just say two. If you have two games in one season where you commit a targeting penalty, you're ejected and you have to sit out a future game or something like that. If you want to have a card system for targeting, I think that you could apply it in that same way where if you accrue a certain amount of targeting penalty calls throughout your season, then you're done. Not for the rest of the year, but you're done for for the rest of that game or, or for a future game. Yeah, and then I would say on top of that, like if you do it again after coming back, shouldn't there be like an even worse penalty than what you got previously? Or should it just stay the same? Because I mean like, I don't know. Uh, is that is that egregious of enough of a, of of like discipline to say you sit out a game or two after? I think I would rather it stay the same sure. every time. Like you had to because that's what happens in soccer as well. If you've accrued three or four yellow cards in a row and then you have to sit out, your your slate goes empty. You have to accrue that many yellow cards yet again for you to be suspended for a future game right i think that's fair yeah i i I like that philosophy and again to kind of go back to what we started with i think it just needs to change period i think that they they definitely need to take a look at it and they definitely need to make some adjustments i don't understand why they're not like they're going to change other ticky tack rules in football and i'm like yeah that didn't need to happen i'm cool with overtime right now but i'm not cool with guys getting ejected in the first game of their senior season for a hit that I don't think was really worthy of him getting taken out. That, that, that's, that's my beef with it. I want to still talk about the actual football game here, though. Ole Miss defeating Louisville 43-24. We asked the question, is this team legit or not? I'm not ready to say that they are, but I do think that they are better than they were last year. I do think that that defense is better. Part of that, I think Louisville was very poor on offense last night, but I also think that Ole Miss's defense is better. How much better? We will see when they get into SEC competition. Some other points of what we saw. Let's look at look. Let's look at offense for Ole Miss yesterday. Dontario Drummond looks like he may be a problem. Like he very well be, may be that next, you know, top two, top three round receiver for Ole Miss in the NFL draft. Dontario Drummond yesterday evening, nine receptions, 177 yards, 19.7 yards per catch, one touchdown, a long of 34. He's a problem. Yeah, and when we were when we were looking at this Ole Miss receiving core, uh, like we said yesterday on the show when we were doing our picks as as the show wrapped up, it was like, well, I I, I said I understand that that uh, that Matt Corral does not have a lot of receiver production coming back, but someone will emerge, and I I didn't I, we didn't stay long enough to cite well who could it potentially be, and I'm not gonna sit here and say oh well I thought it was Dontario Drummond, but he was the leading returning receiver from this team. You obviously would expect him to come in the, into this game and play some type of mature role where he's getting those targets and he's getting those catches, and man. He did everything that he could with those 10 targets. Again, like you mentioned, nine receptions, 177 yards. 6'1", above average height there for a receiver. 220 pounds, though. This is a guy that is going to be able to box you out. He's extremely athletic. He's an outside receiver. He's going to be able to go up, bring the ball down. He's going to be able to box you out. That type of frame, this is the makings of a dude who's going to be mossing folks throughout the year. And there, he's more of a possession receiver. Of course, his long last night was only 34 yards. But this is the makings 
of a guy who is going to physically body up cornerbacks in this league. I want to I want to look real quick. I want to talk about this Ole Miss offense for just a second. Talk about how balanced they are, and I understand that 381 passing yards to 188 rushing yards obviously is not balanced at all. But looking at this rushing attack specifically, look at the guys that were carrying it for them: Snoop Connor, Matt Corral, Henry Parrish Jr., and then uh, Jerry Ely. Like. They've got four guys in that room where they can say, we can run you with confidence and we can get results. Having your quarterback finish with uh, the second most rushing yards on the team and averaging 4.6 yards per carry, that, that's, a very, that's very, very uh, uh, potent. And it's, a, uh, it's, a, it's the, the ability to open up the playbook, I guess. And I really hope that Auburn down the line is able to do that. We talked about Bo Nix's ability to run. My whole point about this being, if they, if they incorporate Nix's pack run packages, I think this offense could open up because Auburn's got guys in the receiver room that can get open. I truly believe that Auburn's got a lot of talent and depth there, even though they're so young, and they've got a lot of dudes in that running back room, i.e. Jarquez Hunter popping off for 110 yards. Let's head to a quick break here. When we come back, we take a look at that Penn State-Wisconsin game. What can we learn from that football game to apply to the Auburn-Penn State game coming up in just two weeks? You're listening to On the Line. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central, Alabama. Short segment here. We got Jeremy Law of Rennie, Alabama Sports coming up at 3.30 to speak to us about the Alabama Crimson Tide and what they did this past weekend against Miami as well as some of the other games that happened around college football. Looking at this Penn State-Wisconsin game from Big Noon kickoff on Fox. Penn State defeats Wisconsin 16-10. Really, I should just say they, they were the team that happened to be up at the end of the ball game. It didn't feel like they defeated anybody. Maybe they almost defeated themselves. But what did we learn from the early season Big Ten clash on Saturday that maybe we can apply not only to the Auburn game coming up in two weeks, but to the rest of college football? Well, like you mentioned earlier in the show, if Auburn wants to put pressure on Penn State, if they're able to, this is going to be a really tough game for the Nittany Lions. Auburn's defensive line, the pressure that they got on Akron, I said earlier in the show, if they get half of that against Penn State, it's going to force Sean Clifford into a lot of uncomfortable situations, and I don't think he's going to be able to come out on top. Like I've mentioned over the course of the summer, he's 1-3 when throwing for over 300 yards as a starter. He, Whenever he's forced to make throws late, whenever they get behind, he's turnover prone, he's mistake prone, and whenever you looked at him on the game during the game on Saturday, obviously he had a couple of deep balls, but it felt like it was more blown coverage. If you go and watch the film, it felt like it was more blown coverage than it was actual, uh, actual like really good receiver play. Trying to bring up his PFF passer grade from this past weekend. He got a 64.8. Now, granted, he was playing against... Wisconsin who I do think has a good defense and I think Penn State's defense is better than what it was last year now it was helped out a bit by Wisconsin's elementary game plan all they did was want to run the ball up the middle 80 times in a row and then when they threw the football it wasn't even shot plays it was within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage Wisconsin's game plan was totally a miss to me and they were able to run the football fairly consistently and there was a lot of arm tackling from Penn State it wasn't super buttoned up from a tackling perspective from the Nittany line so I think Auburn should be able to establish the ground game against them that was one takeaway that I had but Sean Clifford received a lot of pressure the offensive line didn't help him out a whole lot and when the pressure was brought against him he made some questionable decisions 
Yeah, and you look at this Wisconsin rushing attack, you jokingly said 80 times up the middle, but 58 rushing attempts and averaging 3.2 yards per carry, I mean, it's really questionable, the game plan by Wisconsin. Obviously, they didn't have a ton of uh, confidence in their quarterback because he threw two interceptions. I don't think that this Penn State defense is actually that good. Like you mentioned, a lot of arm tackles. I think Auburn will be able to establish the ground game. Again, I just think this is a bad matchup for Penn State. Sean Clifford was pressured on 11 of 37 dropbacks. Just a fun fact there on that offensive line. We'll be back. You're listening to On the Line. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call 334-321-1390 or text line at 334-564-1840. Whatever's on your mind, send it our way. We were supposed to have Jeremy Law of RadioAlabamaSports.net, but just received word. Some things have came up for him, so we're going to try and catch up with him tomorrow about the Alabama Crimson Tide. But no need to fear. There is so much to talk about. We even ran out of stuff in hour number one that we can bring back right here. So we overprepared. Always on the line. We're always prepared, man. Like every single day. Every single day we come in here and we give our best. And I cannot tell you, just a, just a random I, I can't tell you how much I love doing the show, man. It's fantastic. Oh, I have a blast doing it with you as well, my man. And taking a look still at that Penn State-Wisconsin game, 16-10. to 10. We had to cut that a little bit short on that previous segment. Let's look at some other takeaways from that ball game that maybe we can apply to the Auburn game upcoming in a couple of weeks, but also to Wisconsin season moving forward because they were very underwhelming. Let's finish talking about Penn State here for a moment wasn't a clean ball game we obviously mentioned Sean Clifford and the pressure that he faced according to pro football focus he was pressured on 11 of 37 dropouts that's not great I'm not going to say that that's terrible it's not great it improved in the second half but you also have to look at what Penn State did in their passing scheme a lot of screens a lot of those balls were thrown to the outside immediately so that helps a little bit with pressure, and they began to change a little bit of that in the second half. They they made some adjustments from what they were doing in the first half, but in the first half, he was getting peppered with pressure and was making some questionable decisions with the football. I think Auburn could do some of those things to them when they turn around and play in a couple of weeks. And here's the thing. I think Wisconsin has a good defense, but going back to the North Carolina-Virginia Tech thing, I think that's a Penn State issue. I think it's the yeah. offensive line just simply not being that good. Now, again, Wisconsin's defense, defense isn't that bad, but when you look at a team like Auburn, I think they are going to be able to put some pressure on them. Yeah, it's like Auburn's not chopped liver, you know? Like, sure, they played Wisconsin, but Auburn's not a joke either on right. the defensive side of the football end. Uh, I, I think Auburn showed some good things. You know, granted, it was Akron, and we got to wait till that Penn State game to, to draw conclusions. Sure, whatever, but... Penn State played an all-Big Ten schedule last year. They opened up with a Big Ten game here. This game meant something for Penn State, and it was the same script on offense as we saw last year, if not worse. So I don't think that you can come away from this and say Penn State is that much better from where they were last year. I think they improved a little bit, but I don't think that they're leaps and bounds ahead of where they were last year, not to the point where folks like Phil Steele said that they're this breakout, surprise, most improved team from last year. I don't think that that was justified from what we saw this past weekend against Wisconsin. Let's take a look at the Badgers in red. I thought that they played horrible. I I expected a lot 
I expected a lot more from Graham Mertz as a quarterback. I expected better decision-making, but twice we saw him throw into coverage late in the game where it was not needed, and it cost them. It cost them – it literally cost them the game uh, even even before that, that, uh, that interception uh, as time ran out. But it was a confusing game plan from Wisconsin, like you mentioned, just running the ball up the middle over and over and over and over again. You would think that – Wisconsin has the ability to kind of expand even though I know that that's kind of over the past decade or so that's what they kind of like to do but you would think with Graham Mertz and some of the 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 uh, receivers they have Danny Davis uh, Jazz Ferguson uh, you know they they have the the receiver threats to actually go out there and, and throw some balls around but I don't know if it's Penn State I don't I don't believe that it's truly because Penn State's defense is that good I just think it was just not a good game plan from Wisconsin. 44.9 passer grade for Graham Mertz from pro, from pro football focus. That's not good. All right. You you want to hit 70 for, for a guy to be considered like above average. I'd say 60s, you know, kind of it was not a good day. But 70s about above average. You get to 80, you're like, all right, they had a good day. You get to the 90s, you were excellent, right? It, it's still kind of that bell curve. Graham Mertz failed on Saturday against Penn State that is a failing grade against the Penn State and any lines I don't think all of it's his fault game plan play calling questionable Wisconsin was content to run the ball for a billion times until they actually needed to pass the ball late in the ball game and at that point no rhythm was set they were put into situations that they didn't want to be at Wisconsin is not a football team that wants to play from behind they're a team that and nobody wants to play from behind but the way that they are built they are not built for the comeback they are not that good of a passing team and everything is so predicated around running the football when all of a sudden the passing game has to become the focal point of your team that's where Wisconsin is going to struggle this year and when we saw Wisconsin go on that slide that they had last year lost like four games in a row late in the season we saw that out of them it doesn't look like that that's changed I talked a lot about Wisconsin being a team that could go you know 11 and 1 12 and 0 with an easy schedule that's out the window I think you're looking at an 8 and 4 maybe nine and three at best Wisconsin team because they're going to struggle to push this football up the field I don't want to overreact too much and maybe that is an overreaction but there are some teams that I think could box this squad in to their one dimensionality and when they have to throw the football to win a ball game I don't think they're going to be able to do it you talk about the game plan and, and their inability to throw the football I want, I want you all to look at these numbers with me Time of possession, Wisconsin had 42 minutes and 31 seconds compared to Penn State's 17 minutes and 29 seconds. Wisconsin had 29 first downs compared to Penn State's 13. They had 368 total yards of offense compared to Penn State's 297. They actually threw more pass attempts, believe it or not, than Penn State did, 38 38 to 33. Those last two or three drives. But it's the last two or three drives when they needed to execute and they needed to throw the football and they needed to be efficient where they couldn't do it. But it's not like, oh, well, then that means Penn State's defense is really good or, oh, that means Penn State's clutch. No, Penn State had a plethora of issues as well. This was not a good ball game. This was not a good showing by either of these clubs, something that we didn't really get to talk about. Jahan Dotson had 11 targets but only five catches and half of his receiving production came on one busted coverage. I truly believe what Auburn will want to do is stop that run game Force, uh, force Sean Clifford in a third and long and then lock up Dotson. And I think Auburn's going to – I'm not saying like, oh, Auburn's going to blow him out because of that, but I think Auburn will have some some success there. It's very much so the Seth Williams treatment yeah. for Jahan Dotson. 
He played well. He was the guy who busted the game wide open, had 102 receiving yards, 20.4 yards per reception, one touchdown. Struggled a little bit with hauling in the football, but also he was keyed in on more than any of the other guys. He had zero drops. Believe it or not, he was the third rated receiving grade on Penn State's team according to Pro Football Focus. They had other guys that maybe performed a little bit better running back Noah Kane out of the backfield. Parker Washington as that two spot but once again hard for a guy like Jahan Dotson to succeed when he was given the Seth Williams treatment right yeah and but he could be a problem for Auburn downfield he could be an issue and that's what I'm saying is I think you need to force Penn State into into passing situations then make sure that he's locked up and I don't know if Sean Clifford's going to be able to make enough good decisions with the football. You know, we spoke with Justin Ferguson earlier back in hour number one. If you missed that conversation, go and find our podcast on demand wherever you get your podcast. But he brought up that Auburn's scheme has shifted a bit from man-to-man downfield to more of a zone look. And when Auburn plays Penn State in a couple of weeks, it's about keeping Jahan Dotson in front of you. And Penn State did a lot of things schematically that was in the short game in that first half, started taking some shots in the second half, and it worked because Wisconsin had blown coverage. Is that going to be a problem for Auburn a couple of weeks based off what you saw against Akron? Of course, Akron's not stretching the field against Auburn, so I don't think we know. And I have faith in this secondary, but there is going to be a lot of pressure put on them. You talk about how many times we saw blown coverage from Smoke Monday and Christian Tut in tandem last year you talk about how often the the top was blown off from the seam and just one guy not being on the same page Auburn's going to be tested in that category in a couple weeks from Jahan Dotson here's where things could go wrong for Auburn right you stop the running game that's great you get put in a third and seven to third and ten situation for Penn State and they are able to expose Auburn when it comes to tackling and in the in in the uh, intermediate game where they try and throw some mesh stuff, they try and get Dotson involved over the middle of the field, and Auburn has trouble getting off the field on third down. You look at the defense last season, they were one of the worst in the country in doing that, uh, getting off the field, that is. So that could be an area of concern for Auburn. And you talk about the blown coverages, you talk about what Penn State did in this game, they expanded the passing game as, as, as time went on against Wisconsin. Does that happen against Auburn? Do they start to soften them up early and then take shots with Dotson later on in the game? That could be an issue, or issue, and it could be an area where Auburn struggles. Let's shift our conversation now, something that we prepared for today's show. Let's give our top five most important games of week number two as we shift away from looking at last week. Let's look at this week and what's upcoming. And I'll be real, this is one of the best week two schedules that I can think of. So often on ESPN or ESPN2 going into week two, you wouldn't have an ABC game. You'd have NASCAR on television during week two that's not the problem this week you've got some real tangible ball games at every single time slot it's still one of your weaker schedules across the entire season but it's better than it typically is yeah uh, absolutely and I think there are a lot of really fun matchups and there's some really good top 25 matchups it's it's nice to not have everything crammed into week one it's nice to have non-conference matchups that actually mean something heading into even week three as we're talking about Auburn and Penn State next week there are big games next week too like week two and week three typically are some of the softer slates because conference games are just being eased into in week three and you're just not you're not fully there cracking it open and ESPN's gonna have something on their hands between that Alabama Florida game and then Penn State Auburn when you're talking about game day in a couple weeks they haven't announced that yet right please don't please don't pick Alabama Florida like please (laughs) like I'm begging y'all right go to College Park go up there I think or University Park excuse me same thing college university whatever 
<laughs> but go up there to Pennsylvania. See that ball game between Penn State and Auburn. I think that that game carries maybe not more weight than Alabama-Florida, but and maybe we don't get to see Alabama-Florida in the regular season every year or anything like that, but, but we saw that in the SEC Championship last year. How often do you get to see this type of non-conference game, Auburn-Penn State? That one maybe is a little bit more unique than Alabama-Florida. Yeah, there are other games you're going to be able to go watch Alabama play in. Based on college game day's track record, it would, in terms of like like you said, going to games that are unique and special and and have happened for the first time ever in in certain matchups, I would expect them to choose Auburn Penn State because again, it's the wide out, it's a top twenty five matchup, and like you said, it's unique. For the remainder of the show here, we're going to give our top five most important games of week two. Who do you have at number five? Number five, you know, I debated between three different matchups. I'm going to go Kentucky-Missouri. That's I where gen- I'm at. I genuinely believe that this is the fifth best game on the schedule after after going through it, having a tough time. Look, this Kentucky team passing uh, passing the football looked incredible last week. Obviously, it was ULM, but like still, for Will Levis to go off that hard and to for this offense to look that good... I have concerns that Missouri, after only getting a 10-point win over Central Michigan, is not going to be able to get it done on the road, even though coming into this season we kind of felt like this was a 50-50 matchup. I kind of feel like it favors Kentucky, and ESPN's FPI says Kentucky has a 70% chance to win. So I favor Kentucky in this game. Will Levis did something that previous quarterbacks, even though it was ULM, would not have been able to do. We talk about Bo Nix against Akron being on the mark, hitting guys downfield, being accurate. doesn't matter that they were wide open you still have to hit the flow uh, hit the throw of course it, it does matter that they're wide open I mean the, the the windows are going to be tighter of course when you play better teams and that will affect things whatnot or we're not going to hang 60 on everybody but it matters that he hit the throw considering in the past he hadn't necessarily been hitting the throws Will right. Levis fits into that same category Kentucky had a quarterback finally hitting throws right I want to say this real quick whenever I was asking Justin that question earlier it's not because I think Nick's was Nick's was performing bad on Saturday I I agree with Justin I think the fact that you are underthrowing it is better than overthrowing it. And the fact that you hit the throws, period, is really important. And, and it's showing progression from Knicks. I was not saying that, saying like Knicks was bad, but I, I, I agree with what Justin said. I hope underthrowing doesn't become a theme. Tendency. And my reasoning for that is what you just said, saying that underthrowing is better than overthrowing. Not necessarily, because you underthrow a guy, it's a pickable ball you overthrow it it's more likely to not be interceptable of course if you overshot a guy completely in 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 the intermediate and and you could throw it directly to a safety of course but if it's a a downfield pass I probably would rather see you overshoot it than undershoot it but here's my issue though in the past whenever we've seen Knicks get open touchdowns he's overthrown it and so what I I guess what I'm saying is you're just happy he hit the pass when the receiver is open I would rather you underthrow him than than overthrow 100 percent at least at least have it in the vicinity right right? don't send it to the stratosphere I don't want you underthrowing balls every single play because like you said they're going to get picked off when the receivers are open uh Put, put some touch on it don't 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 sling it into the end zone and arm strength isn't an issue for Bonix. No. we know that so it's not like with Will Rogers at Mississippi State and that we haven't talked about Mississippi State hardly at all this week something that I noticed out the gates with Will Rogers for this guy to be in year two in that program in an air raid offense and to have that weak of an arm I I, I, I that may be a little bit of a, a harsh take there but he doesn't have a whole lot of zip on the balls that he's throwing if you underthrow out routes in this offense if you're Bo Nix now now once again arm strength is not an issue for Bo Nix but if he were to underthrow some of these out routes and the way that this passing scheme is built then you're looking at pick sixes right so that was kind of where we were coming from there before we go to break I'm with you Missouri Kentucky at five 
first SEC game of the season has to be on your list Kentucky can make a statement here who's number four number four is this might shock some people I don't know if it's on your list Texas A&M and Colorado man we had the exact same list somehow right. here we <laughs> right. go there we go yeah the reason I, I have this game is it's I think it's going to be for about three quarters it's going to be like a, oh oh Texas A&M is not as good as we thought I they think were. they can lose I think that there's an opportunity for them to lose and I, I know that A&M's defense is good and I know the st- they stopped the run so well or at least they did last season um, but Colorado is has a very efficient ground game and 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 Jarek Broussard last season was I think the best running back in the Pac-12 and has the opportunity to be one of the best running backs in the country this season Texas A&M quarterback Haynes King is averaging an interception every like 9.3 pass attempts in his career can't do that on the road in Boulder yep you will lose that's going to be a tough matchup this isn't Kent State anymore and I want to bring up some stats at halftime I don't know what it finished at and I I don't know if you can find this for me rather quickly but at halftime Kent State was averaging 5.9 yards per carry against Texas A&M there's no reason why Colorado a power five team couldn't do that or better yeah Kent State finished averaging five yards carry and their leading rusher averaged 8.4 what 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 is up with that defense 226 rushing yards by the way Let's head to a break. When we come back, we'll wrap up the show and give you our top three most important games for week two. Wrapping up the Tuesday edition of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Only four minutes left in the show here until the drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Pack taking your calls from 4 to 6 p.m. Be sure to tune in as they continue to take you through week two of the college football season. We are giving our top five games of week two or top five most important games i should say it may not be the top five best games but top five most important games of week two an honorable mention that we didn't put on here we don't have to talk about it because we run out of time me and you omitted michigan washington the primetime game so kind of an example i think that's gonna be a good game but maybe not the most important game considering washington lost to montana but into our top three here we've done five missouri kentucky four texas a&m colorado you and i have the same list that we discussed during the break three texas arkansas yeah espn's fpi was heavily favoring texas before the beginning of the season but now it's only 67 percent in favor of the texas longhorns and but what happened this past weekend to change that though arkansas didn't look good that's kind of what i was leaning towards and also the the longhorns are only favored by six and a half so my thing is like this should be a fun matchup i think for about half a half i think maybe but i think texas is just too good would louisiana beat arkansas yes because if you're struggling with rice you're going to struggle with louisiana i think louisiana may have been able to find the points to win that ball game of course arkansas if you look at the final score you might be like what are you guys talking about they didn't struggle with rice it was 24 to 17 going to the fourth quarter that's not a place you want to be at but sure it was week one that's why i am reserving my opinions on arkansas and texas both here that's why i've got them in the top three because i think you learned something about each of these squads that you may have not you may have not have gotten that in week one i think texas performed well against a pretty good football team do i think lafayette's one of the best teams in the country no i just think that they're an above average one of the best group of five teams but just an above average football team in all of college football looked pretty good did some things they were efficient but it's not like they strong-armed them it's not like they bullied them i want to see if texas takes that next step against an sec team that does have sec talent on it moving to game two here maybe the highest i don't know if this is the highest rate matchup ever in iowa Iowa state history the battle for the cyclone trophy i don't know if it is according to intern belichick it is 
This probably is the most important game in this series history, Iowa-Iowa State. Yeah, this is going to be a really fun game because I don't know if if at the end of the year we can say that Iowa's a top 10 team and then based on what Iowa State did last season or last week rather, I think they're kind of on even playing fields and I think it's going to be an incredibly fun matchup and on top of it it's a rivalry. So, it's it's going to be exciting. Well, Iowa put into a position the storyline for them is do they deserve to be top 10? Iowa State was last week a fluke. Iowa State has to earn back some of their reputation that they built last year. Iowa State needs to improve things quickly if they want to be a legitimate Big 12 contender because I think Oklahoma and Texas are going to have something to say about it. Of course, I think Texas has squarely put themselves after their week one performance. I'm impressed with Texas, maybe even more so than Iowa State at this point. But like I said, they struggled last year in week one, lost to Louisiana Lafayette and a blowout. You know, you, n- you never know. Last game here, most important game of the weekend, Oregon, Ohio State. If this game was in Oregon, I, I would I would be I would be watching this game really, really close. Not like I'm not going to, but I just feel like at home Ohio State's going to make this it, it's going it's going to be out of reach, uh, I think. Not quickly, but I think it will be. Oregon didn't play well against Fresno State, right? Yeah. yeah. This is important for both of these teams playoff discussions. Yeah. Oregon loses. They have to run the table in the Pac-12. Pac-12 could automatically be put into a position where they're going to have a really hard time getting a team into the playoff. Ohio State, they take a loss. Similar boat. Are they better than what we saw last week against Minnesota? That's it for another edition of On the Line. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Same time, same place. You know where to find us.